Today, though, we get to celebrate resurrection. Our God is risen with power. Like that's like that's something that if we've been around church for a while, it's like, especially if you grew up in like a straight Baptist church, uh, Pentecostal church, or Baptocostal church. <laughs> Seemed like every single sermon, the pastor would start pumping his fist and he rose with all power. Like <laughs> Like it's literally like the end of every sermon because that's the reason why we worship God on a Sunday together, right? Like it's the like every Sunday is like a mini Easter. <laughs> so Christ is risen, yeah, but not just risen, risen with power. And today we're really focusing on that power part. We'll be in Matthew and Luke. The scriptures will be up there, but for those of us who like the feeling and the sound of the wrestling of scripture through paper Bibles, Matthew 26, 27, and Luke 24. Um, the cool thing about Matthew and Luke, they're telling the same story through two lenses. Um, and so if you've been around Unison for a while, let me back up and say, if this is your first time here, what's up? My bad, it's just kind of been flowing like, you know, like y'all, everybody know what's popping. Listen, my name is Chase, and I get to serve as the lead pastor here. <laughs> and if it's your first time here, welcome. I'm really glad that you're worshiping with us today. Um, I'm going to pray for our time in the word, and then we'll jump into it. Father, thank you for this day, all that this day is. Uh, we, we do not... Um, we don't take for granted what has happened. We remember the story of your resurrection and a part of also how that, has, that story has shaped everything in creation and particularly our lives and the life of our community. We pray, Lord, as we dive into scripture that we embrace the power of your resurrection. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I was saying, Matthew and Luke, actually, if you're new to Scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all the first four books of the New Testament, and they are all telling the same story, just from a different lens. Uh, I was talking with Ben um, this week, talking about the fact that Matthew and Luke tend to be my favorites. Um, and if you've been around and you've heard me preach through the Gospels, you kind of know that I'm generally always in Matthew because his tends to be my favorite. And if you've watched um, the, the Chosen, which how many people have like actually watched a few episodes or watched The Chosen? OK, so so Matthew's the awkward one. And I like him because like he just like he, I like the way that the character is depicted. And when you read through Matthew, like now I just have this awkward voice in my head now. I was like, yes, Matthew, do it. So 
<laughs> um, so Matthew tends to have a lot of details and really explicit about why Matthew is doing what he is doing. Last week, we talked about that in terms of the triumphal entry. He's very specific about what he's revealing, and the, this part is no different. It says here, this is, uh, Jesus has, this is Thursday, by the way, right? We're going to talk about Sunday, but we're going to start with Thursday. Jesus has had dinner, and if you are tracked along with the story, he broke bread. They drank wine together. Judas went at some point to go and do his dirt. And Jesus leaves where they've eaten dinner, and they start to go toward a Mount of Olives. It says in Matthew 26, verse 36 and 37, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and became anguished and distressed. I'm pausing here because James and John are not just Zebedee's sons, and that's all they are. They're called the sons of thunder. Right. James and John, they they got a little bit of a hood streak to them. We're just being real. And so does Peter. Right. Like if again, if you've read through this story, like the moment where the people come to get Jesus, Peter's like, yeah, like he takes out his sword and he cuts one of the priest's ears off. And he's like, I'm t- so I'm just saying real quick, I know this has nothing to do with the sermon, but just just be with me for a moment. That Jesus took his hood friends with him. <laughs> okay. Okay. He didn't just, he didn't take the friendly ones. He knew what was about to happen. So he took the hood cats with him to the olive grove. <laughs> so if anything happened, he knew he had backup. Okay. I just had to say it out loud because I'm one of them people that like when I see it, I can't not say it. Jesus took his hood friends with him. So those of us who have people in our lives who still got a little bit of hood residue with Jesus, that's James, John, and Peter. Okay? Don't, 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 let it, don't tell them they got to wash that off. That has use in the kingdom. All right. <laughs> Jesus told them, my soul, excuse me, told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Said that this is a message about power. And I think it's important that we acknowledge a couple of things before we move forward. We have a very unique understanding of who Jesus is. I say is on purpose. We have a very unique understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus is the being whom embodied both this humanity and Godship. I'm going to be completely honest and not try to tell you that I understand that 100%. I'm okay with that. I'm okay not understanding that completely. I've got questions about it. And when I ask, the Holy Spirit does bring some understanding, but there is some mystery to it. Yep, it's the thing. 
But I think if we don't acknowledge the human side of Jesus, then this whole thing makes no sense. But then also, if we don't acknowledge and hold intention that God part two at the same time, we miss the fact that God is showing us something that is a value system in the kingdom. Jesus's words there are, if this cup of suffering can pass, that'd be really great. And if you just pause there for a moment, Jesus knows the plan. He's known the plan from the beginning, right? Like, he came to fulfill it, came to seek and save the lost. That's what Jesus is here. That's his mission. But if we can do that without the suffering, that'd be great. Notice that he didn't say, can we change the plan? No, can we accomplish the plan without the suffering? Listen. That, who said it? That's how we are. That's how we are. And the reason why I'm saying that to us is because that's a part of the part that resonates really well with us in Jesus. If we can accomplish what you want minus the pain, God, can we go that route? I know I've been in that place. If we could get to the healing without the pain part, if we could get to the restoration of that relationship with my parents without the acknowledgement of my fault part, God, if we could get to me being fully developed, fully mature, and having all of my things together without me having to relive my childhood traumas, I'm good. I'm, hey. I know that's, honestly, that's kind of the stuff that many of us were sold on. If we're honest, like many of us, if we've been walking with the Lord for more than two decades, we were sold on, give Jesus your life and he'll make it all better. And then you did and it got weird. (laughs) Because what we were hoping for was the same thing Jesus was hoping for. Can we accomplish the better without the pain? please nevertheless it's your will that I'm interested in that's that kingdom peace the beginning always feels like that for us wanting the fruit without the suffering part But something clicks in us. The Holy Spirit says, whatever it is that your will is, Father, let that happen. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me for even one hour? Keep watching, pray, so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them asleep again, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things. Then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep. 
Have your rest, but look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. I just wanted us to get into Thursday before we got into Friday and Saturday and Sunday. Because oftentimes we talk about these two things as they're separate, and they're really not. Jesus knows the plan. He knows what all is entailed. And it's not, it's, it's not to say that he's not willing to go through the plan. It's just like, can we just real quick reconvene, Father, just to double check? Okay, they sleep. Can we do it? Just one time, one more. And I'm only saying that because some of us feel insecure about asking God those kinds of things. And I just want you to know it is like us as people, as followers of Christ, to acknowledge the pain that we have to endure as a result of, as a part of getting to the outcome that the Father wants for us and being uncomfortable with it and still stepping into it. Because some of us are waiting to feel comfortable to step into things. That is not the way of our King nor is it the culture of our kingdom. The culture of our kingdom is to acknowledge that that is very uncomfortable and I'm not interested in that. And matter of fact, it's not just uncomfortable. It feels painful even before I get there. And let's be real. I'm shook. I'm scared. I'm terrified of what's coming. Okay. One of my favorite things about our king is that our king leads the way we are supposed to follow. Our king leads the way we are supposed to follow. He is vulnerable. The God of all creation doesn't pretend that he's not uncomfortable with the plan. So the first thing for us to consider as we think about this story is godly power is rooted in vulnerable surrender. Godly power is rooted in vulnerable surrender. Some of us have been taught that power is rooted in proving to everybody that you're strong. It's not. Not godly power. That's a power that makes sense down here. That's an earthly power. Telling everybody that you have it all together. Smiling all the time. Doing push-ups. Being the loudest one in the room. Never letting anybody get the upper hand. All of these things are the things that we've been taught. And they work really well in the kingdoms of the earth and do not work at all in the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, the very roots of power is vulnerability and surrender. And our king demonstrated in Matthew, the detailed note taker of the disciples, was like, I should write that down. (laughs) That's going to bless somebody one day, 2,000 years from now. They're going to need to see that the culture of the kingdom of God is not actually pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's take your boots off. And cry in the dirt for a minute. Eventually you got to get up, but cry there for a second. That's what the king does. Moving on to Friday. 
Jesus has been, has been I won't say captured. <laughs> you can't really capture Jesus. He went along with those who came to get him. There's been a trial. There's been some whipping. There's been some flogging. He's on a cross. And at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted again and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shock shook, rocks split apart, and tombs were open. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. Some of you are like, what? You skipped that part because it was weird. I know. It was like, why are there zombies in the Bible? I'm, look, okay, I'm telling you, if it's the first time here, I'm sorry if I'm offending you. But it's like, that's really what was just described. <laughs> Not weird little zombies that we see on TV that want to eat brains. Jesus dies. A veil rips. An earthquake shakes. Rocks split. And people who were considered godly, come out of their graves and start talking to people. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. They said, this man truly was the son of God. Godly power isn't just evident after resurrection. Even while you are surrendering, life is breaking through. Here's the thing. So many of us, we wrestle. We wrestle with this idea that I can't start until I have it all together. And so we don't start. Or I don't know if I can wait to see God move until it all is done. So we don't start. And I need you to know that godly power isn't something that just shows up when you've, when you've got it all together. People around you already begin to experience the fruit of God moving in us when we surrender. That was one of my favorite parts of that part of the, the, the crucifixion. Even before Jesus rises from the dead, his enemies are already declaring his Identity. He just died and people are declaring his identity. He just gave up his spirit and things already start happening with death. Death already begins to lose its grasp on humanity simply from Jesus' surrender. That's what it is in the kingdom. 
when we begin to surrender and allow our lives to not be something that we feel so hold, held on to that we can't release it and surrender it to God, people in my life who are experiencing death actually begin to experience life. And then if you've been walking with God, you know that to be true. When you start telling people, I've been wrestling with God with this, and I feel like God is moving in me, it's not done yet. And then they start actually feeling life. There's something about our surrender that positions the Holy Spirit to move in ways that the Holy Spirit, not that the Holy Spirit can't, the Holy Spirit won't move while I'm powerfully standing in the way. Not can't, won't. And that's an important thing. In the kingdom of God, power begins with vulnerable surrender. And so, even in my life, if I want to see the fruit of the power of the Holy Spirit moving, not just in me, but around me, it will not start with me being strong. It will be with me releasing something. And then dead things start coming to life. Then my enemies acknowledge who I am in God. Not before. It won't be that you complain to HR that will have them acknowledge the fact that you're a child of God. I'm just saying. Please tell HR. Listen, tell them. But if you want them to see God in you, there's going to be something inside of us that has to surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit moving around me. And then there's Sunday. That's where we are today. We got to move over to Luke for this one. Because Luke had a purpose too. And of all of the, the individuals who wrote Gospels, Luke was the only one who wasn't Jew. And he was intentionally writing to convince other Gentiles about the power of God moving through this Jesus and then this Holy Spirit. Luke wrote Acts. For those of us who didn't know that, I feel like Luke was attracted to the power of the Holy Spirit and writes about the power of God in some very, very great ways. And that's why we actually got to get to Luke. Jesus has already resurrected and has been walking with them for a little while now. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise on the dead, from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning with Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. This is Jesus talking to the disciples, but it's for us too. And now listen, 
I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Jesus went through all of this vulnerable surrender, all of this dramatic death on the cross and this dramatic rising. I wasn't sure if I was going to say this, but I need to say it because I told you I can't say it. If I can't see it and not say it. I've talked about this before, but it just always feels great to say the first two people to be aware of Jesus's resurrection and to proclaim it were women. Amen. I love that. Amen. Like, just think about that for a second. All these dudes in an incredibly patriarchal society, the first two people to express the gospel are women. Yeah. One of my favorite things. Okay, anyway, like... <laughs> But even after that, Jesus says, you've seen all these things. You have all this imagination. You know what resurrection looks like. You've seen me heal. You've been witness to all these things. Now sit here and wait for a minute while the power I'm going to send shows up. I'll be back. <laughs> Here's what I need us to know. The surrender never stops. It doesn't just, it's not just, okay, I want the pain to be gone, but I surrender to your will. And then it's like, okay, I don't have to deal with that anymore. Okay, no, I want, uh, then I experience the actual crucifixion part of all of my desires, all of my will. I'm dying to myself, and then the pain stops, and then the surrender stops, and then I get to live in the power part. No, the surrender is ongoing. Wait on the Holy Spirit. But I already know what the plan is. Wait on the Holy Spirit. But I already know what we're supposed to be doing. Wait on the Holy Spirit. You just told me to go tell people, wait on the Holy Spirit. The surrender is always a part of what power looks like in the kingdom of God. And in the moment that we feel like, I got it now, wait. So this last little note. There is no godly power without surrender. And I want, I, that feels pessimistic. Welcome to life in Christ. Not that life in Christ is pessimistic, but it is realistic. If we were hoping that I give my life to Christ and then I, 20 years later, I'm all good and I can just walk it out on my own, wait on the Holy Spirit. Power is not me figuring it out on my own. There is no godly power to overcome my areas of addiction without surrender. And I know that some of us want to pray and then have it be gone. Welcome to life in Christ. Something is going to have to die. We wonder why Paul says, I beg you, sisters and brothers, in the name of Christ, to offer yourselves as living sacrifices. 
It is to say that we walk out the crucifixion of Christ daily by surrendering moment by moment. Do I want to see the fruit of, of peace in my life? Then something has to be surrendered. What? I thought that that was going to be free. Yeah. Surrender. <laughs> we want to experience the power of God moving in and around us, but just like we saw in the garden, there's a part of us that doesn't want to let go of anything. And I'm telling us, family, that if we're actually going to live in the power of resurrection, something has to die. And that sense can't be something that we're too afraid to actually walk in. And by something, I'm not saying you're physically, but perhaps your desire for your comfort has to die. Perhaps your plan for how you were going to figure that out, nail it to a cross. Perhaps your imagination for what you were expe expecting on the other side, go ahead and let that die. How about the desire to be able to be in relationship with that family member and still hold them to what they did to you? One of them is going to die. You get to choose. There is limitless and unimaginable power that Christ has demonstrated and even promises in us. But if we're going to be honest with one another, it does not show up by me trying harder. It doesn't even show up by me never sinning. It doesn't show up by how many people I pray for. It doesn't show up by how many times I speak in tongues. It doesn't show up by how many times I heal somebody. It doesn't show up by how many people come to Christ as a result of having a conversation with me in an elevator. It doesn't come with how many people I feed on the side of the road. It doesn't come with how much I give in tithe. It doesn't have, come with how many people I smile to. It doesn't come with any of the things that we've been taught as behavioral management. The beginning of all godly power begins the same way it did with the king. Surrender. And some of us already have something in our heart. God, I need you to move in this space. Bearer of bad news moment. I believe the Holy Spirit is inviting us to surrender something, not as an exchange. Nope, it's not payment. That's not how this works. You know, sometimes we can feel like that. That's just in our society. We feel like we have to have an exchange. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not it at all. It is just the nature of the kingdom of God that I don't get to hold on tightly to whatever is I want and walk in God's favor at the same time. <laughs> I don't. That thing that will give you glory, Chase, over here, you have to let that go before you get on this side of the line. Because you don't get to have glory on this side. Jesus preached the glory of the Father all the time. That's how our king worked. So even in this process, 
God, I, talking to the Father, I surrender to you. We are no different. The king leads the way we follow. And so the invitation isn't just surrender our lives. That's, a, that's some of us, we've already gotten there. Some of us need to surrender deeper parts of who we are. Christine, she, one, the, the whole spoken word thing, yes. But also there's this, she talks about giving God her whole house. And many of us don't think about it like that. He wants more than just the deed. He wants to take up the living room too. And some of you are about to get real squeamish, but also your bedroom. And your dining room. And your kitchen. And the truth is, the more and more I surrender my house, my home, to the will of the Father, the more and more I experience the power of God moving in and around me. And the opposite is true, too. If I keep God in the front yard, the power I'm hoping for is limited. Some of us gave him the deed but never invited him in. And you're wondering why, why is it that I'm not experiencing the freedom that I'm expecting? Give him the living room. Give him the kitchen. Some of us are wrestling now because we ain't even given the deed yet. <laughs> I, I, I think I default to being probably even sometimes um, unwisely transparent. And what I mean by that is I don't want to lie to you. I don't want to pretend to sell you on Jesus because that's not important. At the end of the day, your relationship with the creator God is your relationship with creator God, and we get to live that out together. And so no salesmanship on my part can change whether or not you actually believe. But I can say this. I have been walking with God for almost three decades. And the more I give my life to Christ, the more I give myself to the will of the Father, the more peace I have, the more joy I have, the more love I experience and the more love I can give, the more self-control I have, the more power I have in my life, and the more amazing and miraculous things I get to see. It's not just the more I do stuff for God, I get to see those. The more I give myself to God. So the invitation is that regardless of where we are in the journey, is that we give God something else of ourselves today. Like our king, like our savior, 
And on the flip side of that, live in the power that comes as a result of our surrender. Let's pray. Father, there isn't a unique prayer that makes us give you ourselves. That's not the point of this. It's not how this works. It's the moment that we acknowledge that you are where the, are the answer and the solution to my longing and to my need. And I choose to allow you to fulfill it. That is the first step here. And so, God, we acknowledge we need you. God, we are weak and imperfect. My thoughts aren't always thoughts that I believe would make you happy. My actions aren't always actions that I believe would make you happy. I experience shame. And there are times where shame overcomes me. And I know that, I believe that you are the answer to that. And so I receive your solution. I give you the areas of my thoughts. I give you my actions. I give you my relationships. I give you my job stuff. I give you my school stuff. I give you my church stuff. I give you my neighborhood stuff. I give you my frustration and pain with injustice. <clears throat> I give you my anger. I give you my sadness. I give you my mourning. I give you my grieving. And I surrender the part of me that wants to figure it out by myself. Not because I can't, but because it pales in comparison to the power that comes in you, Holy Spirit. You see all the details, and because you see all the things, I surrender to you. God, give us grace to moment by moment surrender. And even though it feels upside down and backwards to feel like being vulnerable is the beginning of power, teach me to see it the way that you do. From time to time, uh, the moments where I want us to do something with our bodies so that we experience what's happening a little bit more tangibly. I've, we've done this before, but it's just this idea of putting our hands in front of us 
with our fists closed, holding on to whatever it is that I've been holding on to that I have not wanted to give to God because I'm hurting, because I'm angry, holding on because I really want to have control. Let's just be real. I want to have control. And for a moment, choosing to just open my hands and give it. And so, Father, whatever it is that I'm holding on to, I release, I surrender. Whatever it is that you want to do, I trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.